is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Hopefully everybody had a phenomenal Memorial Day weekend. What a tremendous game one between the Pens and the Predators. Pittsburgh draws first blood, take a one nothing series lead, although outplayed for chunks of the game. And live from Pittsburgh, inside the arena, just moments away from the Predators' practice, is the great E.J. Raddick from the NHL Network, NHL Now, between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m. Eastern. How are you, sir? I am terrific, yeah. I'm, I'm in the uh, in the building here. I'm in the fifth row, right behind the uh, goal that would be defended in the first period by Pekka Rene. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, we're getting ready in about uh, 25 minutes for the Preds to come onto the ice for their practice. And it'll be interesting, Don, because both teams – We'll have different messages from game one. The Preds will say, hey, we played great. We had some bad fortune in the first period. Uh, we battled back. The Penguins didn't get any shots for 37 minutes, and we really should have won, and we're going to win game two. And the Penguins will say, we played terrible. We had a little luck. Easily could have lost, but we won. We're going to be much better in game two. So everybody will play it a little differently, and we'll see how it goes tomorrow night. Uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. And i got to tell you, I had so much uh, fun watching that game, and it was, I just thought it was it was terrific follow-up to the game seven of the Eastern Conference Final and just so many places to go. So I guess let's start from the beginning and maybe the most controversial of moments in the game, and that was the offside that erased the P.K. Uh, Subban goal that would have given Nashville a one to nothing lead. And there's so many different directions within this one direction we decide to go. First of all, you're in the building. I'm sure you saw many different replays. Did you believe it was conclusive that it was offside? Yeah, I mean, I could not say it was conclusive. I mean, if, if you know, you put the proverbial gun to my head and make me make a decision one way or the other, I would have said that I thought his uh, skate was off the ice, which means that it was offside, and the call was correct that they ended up with. But I wasn't 100% certain of that, and being that it has to be conclusive video evidence, I would have uh, allowed the goal to stand. But that's just my opinion. Uh, I think these these circumstances uh, that we've gotten into with this uh, offside challenge is, is uh, there have been many, many more ripples than they anticipated when they threw that stone in the water, and uh, it makes for... Uh, there's a lot of uh, – I don't know what I, what I could say. I, I don't like it. I like that the calls end up being right most of the time. But, uh, you know, that was one last night that was really hard to tell. And uh, in the end, it cost the uh, Predators, and the Penguins took advantage of it. And as I always say, Donnie, in these games and all sporting events and really in life, you're going to have adversity, and that was some adversity. And the, mm-hmm. the Predators, I don't know if the Predators didn't handle it well. I just thought that the Penguins got life from it. It seemed like their bench had a lot more jump, and then the Predators take a couple of bad penalties right. at the same time. And the next thing you know, you're behind 3 nothing. Well, they just know how to win. And I think that when you know how to win and you're a defending champion, you know how to take advantage of situations. And we'll, we'll get to those situations they took advantage of a little bit later on, EJ, but it was sticking with the offside, and I believe that it was offside. I believe that his foot was off the ice, but I could I could totally understand if it was inconclusive. Now, maybe they had an angle that we didn't see. What I don't know. Maybe they had the ability to blow it up to the point where we couldn't tell from what NBC had showed yeah. us, but whatever. But the, the fact that there are so many people that do not like this rule, I'm not just talking about last night, I'm talking about throughout the year, covering the Rangers, I'm sure you go over it yeah. during your show, people yeah. not liking this rule. And there are people within the business that I argued with on Twitter last night, people that I respect, who think that it's a joke. 
And I'm, and I was like, listen, it's it's still uh, it should be a cut and dried situation. I've got no issue with them challenging it. And what so what you're not supposed to challenge the ones that are really close, but the the egregious ones were supposed to change. I mean, it's it's a reviewable play. More times than not, they get it right. So I don't understand why we have to just throw the baby out with the bathwater just because of the fact that there are a few that maybe we have an argument about. And and I, I don't want to throw it away. I think it's I, I think it's a good thing to review. And most times you get it right. Now, do I think that there should be some tweaks to it? Should there be a, a limit to how long it takes to review it? Yes. And I also think to make it a little bit more interesting, EJ, I think it should be like the measuring the stick call where the coach that calls for the review, if it's wrong, they go on the they go on a penalty kill, and maybe the yeah. close ones do not get reviewed. Because if I'm Mike Sullivan last night, I just gave up a goal. Do I take the chance to review it? It be inconclusive, and now I got to kill off a power play and maybe go down two nothing. So I think to get rid of the ones that are just so close, attach it to a penalty, and I bet you they don't even bother to review it. Yeah, I mean, I think you might have something there, Donnie. It's a uh, it's a tricky thing, and I can go back to when they were thinking about including the offside challenge. I mean, it all stemmed from a playoff game with the Canadians and the Tampa Bay Lightning, an overtime playoff uh, game at the Bell Center in Montreal, where the Lightning scored on a play that was clearly offside. Uh, the puck never left the zone, and the Lightning scored and won the game. I think Kucherov scored the goal, and of course, because that happened in the playoff in Montreal. Everybody took notice of it. And the following season, the uh, the Situation Room, one of, part of their tasks for the year was to monitor offside plays during the year. And at the end of the season, they said, well, there was only about eight of these that really we, they missed. And there wasn't that many. So this would be good to have this be challenged. But what was missed in that season-long review is that with all the zone entries that take place in a game, You have to, as you saw last night, you have to look very, very closely in slow motion with with different camera angles to make sure that every single one of those entries is something that you would be clean and would be onside and would something that couldn't be challenged. So I think that was something that was lost in the review by the hockey ops group is that they just didn't look at it closely enough. And I don't know if you even can blame them for that, because these are not things that can be seen with the naked eye. They're things that we see again. Last night was a great example. The commissioner, from what I understand, advised the hockey ops group that, hey, this is something you might want to reconsider, because once the genie is out of the bottle, it's out of the bottle. We can't go back now. If people don't like this or feel these are there's too many of them, we can't now go back and say it's okay to be offside on occasion. So this is kind of where we are now. And, uh, you know, some have said we can tweak it and maybe, you know, if you break the plane with your skate. But to me, that just creates another problem. Oh, they're now right. We're looking to see if it's all it really does. It just changes the, the marker a little bit. But it still doesn't alleviate the idea of, hey, is he onside or offside? You know, that's, that's really what it comes down yeah. to. So I think your suggestion of maybe having a penalty – uh, is something worth considering to kind of make it a little bit uh, more of a real yeah. challenge. But, you know, the overall thing with replay, and I'll, I'll just finish with this, is that if people think that it's a perfect solution, they're wrong. We're going we're gonna to get rid of the egregious offsides, thankfully, with replay. And just like we're going to get rid of, hopefully, the egregious goalie interference plays with replay. But they're... 
are not always going to be the angles on the offside or the common opinion on those goalie interference plays that make them all clean all the time. So we're going to have to live if we can accept, and I think this is what you're saying, we like the fact that replay is there to correct mistakes. We have to live with the fact that it is not the end-all, be-all all the time, and there will be times when we'll have to agree to disagree on certain plays. Yeah, and I think if you attach the penalty to it, it would cut it probably in half because there's a lot of times I call games, EJ, where they're just challenging it because they were going to use a timeout anyway. So why not challenge it just to see? And, you know, if, if I've given up three consecutive exactly. goals, you know, so now if I know that if I'm wrong, I'm going to have to kill off a penalty, maybe I decide not to do it. And I think that that would cut it down. I'm telling you, Sullivan would not have challenged that. Well, he said last night, I mean, they have their, their video guy in, like most of these teams, all these teams have their video guy in, in, uh, in communication with their bench. And, you know, the word they had was it was very close. And he said, "Our feeling is that when it's close, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna do it." But to your point, is that now if there's a penalty involved, maybe you have to really rethink that and you say, "Hey, not only if it's close, but like, do, do we think we're gonna win this?" Right. And you have to make that kind of decision. So I think that would certainly change the dynamic for sure. I wouldn't have a big problem with that. But uh, you know, again, I think the league is looking at at ways to try to to figure it out. I know in, in the commissioner's state of the game press conference before game one, he, you know, he said that it's been working really well, as he would say, he's the commissioner of the national hockey league. And, uh, it's funny that two hours later, you had a play like this where, well, there of course, be, where there can be but, debate. Let's but, say. I, like I said, I don't have a problem with the fact, Donnie, that it was ruled the way it was. Cause I think, again, if you really push me to say, I would say, I thought his skate was up in the air, but I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. And so again, I just think that, this is replay is an imperfect. It brings us closer to being perfect, but it's still well, not it. perfect. So we have to live with that. You know, it's like Joe, Joe Milley sends me a tweet says technology is ruining the authenticity of hockey. The sport is too fast paced and momentum based to break down to millimeters. But as you said, you can't just you can't throw away the millimeters when a foot could be involved. So if you throw away replay because you don't want to have the minutia of breaking down millimeters, then that means you have to live with the egregious foot offside like we saw in the Montreal-Tampa game where it's still being talked about years to come. So you don't think that hurts the authenticity of the game if a championship is won where there's a million replays showing the guy was a foot offside? So I would rather have it this way than to have yeah. the – because the, you, you think people are up in arms <laughs> about this. Imagine what the what the feeling would be in Pittsburgh if the if if it was a foot offside and it cost the That's team right. a game. So That's right. Uh, you know, there's, there's John, so much- there was a play there was a play, you know, I go back to the Western Conference final game 7 Chicago and LA. I believe it was 2014 and Jeff Carter was clearly offside uh and the Kings scored on that play and that game was an overtime game which the Kings won Alec Martinez scored in overtime, but that was a turning point goal in the first period. And that was offside. And yeah. if we had had the current rules, it would have been disallowed. And maybe that maybe the Chicago Blackhawks win that game and go on to win the Stanley Cup and win back-to-back Stanley Cups. So uh, history and you know things get changed by these these different plays. Yeah. And I would prefer to have the ability on clear, like you say, on, on ones that are obvious offsides to be able to challenge them and get them right. But we have to live with uh, 
these really, really close plays, and I don't think there's any way around that. Yeah, and, you know, time limit also could help, too, because if it takes you eight minutes to yeah. figure it out, then you know what? Yeah. It's probably too close to call. So there's a, there's some yeah. tweaking that needs to be done rather than throwing it away. All right, the other big story, 37-plus minutes without a shot on goal. EJ, I've been watching hockey forever. You've been watching hockey forever. I don't remember that ever happening before, especially with two really good teams in the Stanley Cup final. This isn't, you know, the, the, the California Golden Seals against the 77 Canadians. So I'd yeah, never seen yeah. anything like that before. Yeah, I was trying to think back on, uh, you know, certainly in the Stanley Cup final, I don't remember anything like that happening. Uh, I remember the Devils and Leafs had a playoff game many years back now uh, during the Matt Sundin mm-hmm. era, I think, in Toronto, where the Devils held Leafs to six shots yep. on goal in the game. But even that game, I believe the shots were a little spread out, so there was never a stretch of 37 minutes and nine seconds where there was not a shot on goal. Now, the Penguins turned down some shots in the third period. Beginning, Malkin had a couple of opportunities to shoot the puck. He turned them down. There were shots that they directed at the goal that were blocked and never got through. But for the most part, uh, you know, that is that is nearly two full periods of hockey, Donnie, where the Penguins did not get a, a shot on goal. It was, it was just mind-boggling. And then, of course, as the fates would have it, the Predators tie it up, and the Penguins score on their very first shot since the first period, which really wasn't even a shot, to be honest. The Nick Benino goal was a deflection was gonna say. Of an opposing player. So they had not had a shot between that point late in the first period until late in the third period. It, it, it is something. I just shake my head. That was the game that I watched on Monday night, Don, was one of the strangest yeah. games, period, let alone Stanley Cup final games, but just one of the strangest games that I have seen in a long while. Now, you had mentioned that both coaches would have different messages and probably the opposite of what the result was. Uh, Peter Laviolette was interviewed during, I guess it was the second period, and Pierre McGuire asked him about what, what's Pittsburgh doing, and you saw Laviolette look up at the scoreboard to Pierre. They got seven shots on goal. We're unhappy yeah. about the score, but we're happy about everything else. And yeah. Sullivan said after the game, too, it's like, listen, we got to play better. So is there enough there for Nashville to feel like, yeah, we lost the game, but straighten up our goaltender, which he's been great most of the playoffs, so I think that yeah. should be fine, that Nashville still has to feel like they're in good shape. Yeah, I mean, this is the way you look at it. It's twofold for me. For Nashville, they did play a really good game, and they limited the Pittsburgh Penguins offensively, and they took away the middle of the ice in, in a lot of cases, and there was a lot of good things in their play last night. It was a game they clearly should have won. But at the end of the day, they lost. And, you know, on the flip side of that is in a four-out-of-seven game series, and Ranger fans who were listening saw it in that series with Ottawa. There were two games in that series in particular the Rangers could have, should have won. They didn't win. So the fact that they should have won didn't mean anything in the end. You can't, in a four-out-of-seven-game series, you can't blow opportunities, particularly against good teams, the defending Stanley Cup champions, in games in their building. And they have the home ice advantage here. Games that you should win, you just can't afford to have them slip away from you and lose them. So while Nashville should feel great about the way they played and uh, there was every reason to think they could have won that game, the reality is they didn't. And now they find themselves in game two playing against a Penguins team that I think will make some adjustments and I assume is going to have more than 12 shots on goal in the game and is likely going to play better. So, you know, yeah, maybe Nashville will come out and build on what they did and play great and win game two. And then we'll we'll be on to game three and we won't think of it. But in a four out of seven game series, when you lose opportunities to win games, particularly on the road, those things usually come back to bite you. And we'll see. 
if this is going to be one of those circumstances. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's also odd, right, EJ? You're right. They had an opportunity to win and they didn't. But they're also put behind the eight ball by circumstances beyond their control. As, as you said, maybe they get a bad break on the offside. So they take a one nothing lead, which can change the complexion of the game. Uh, yeah. The Benito goal is a fluke goal. Instead of it 2 nothing after one, it's 3 nothing after one. And then they fought back from 3 nothing down. So they probably think that if maybe they catch a couple of breaks, they've got a, they've got a lead in the third period that they, maybe they'd be able to protect. So I, I think there's enough yeah, going there's, there that they could feel yeah, pretty good about themselves. Both sides will have – Nashville will say we played well enough to win. We just got to keep doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh will say, hey, we were fortunate to win game one. But we know this will be a lot better in game two. And I'm betting that they will be a lot better in game two. Now, um, Alfie tweets, um, lots of unwanted NHL records for the Penguins last night, but they still get the W, elite, lucky, or both? Uh, both, really. I mean, I think uh, the Penguins find ways to win. That's the bottom line. I mean, they found ways to win against the Washington Capitals. They found ways to win against the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first round. They found ways to win against the Ottawa Senators. And here in game one against the Nashville Predators, they found a way to win. Remember, the game was uh, 3-3, and the Predators had all the momentum. They had rallied to take the lead. And the Penguins, in a quick neutral zone turnover, bing, bang, and it's in the net, and they end up winning the game. So, yeah, there's uh, there's always some luck to getting a, a call go your way, or uh, you know, or a penalty that maybe shouldn't have been called that was called. A lot of things play into it, but at the end of the day, yeah. you have to be able to take advantage of those things. And the Penguins are, with the players they have in that group, is a team that's won a championship last year. They seem to find ways to win. Yeah, and like I said, they just know how to do it. You know, that, that's a team you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. That's just how good they are, and that, that's what Stanley Cup champions do. Uh, Sam Diaz tweeted, four goals on 11 shots was brutal. Can't blame the deflections on Rene, but he should have stopped two of the other three. I think the Malkin goal, he saw, got a glove on it, probably wants that one back, and the Gensel goal. Now, we heard this with Brodeur, you know, the, or even go back to Ken Dryden, that there is a talent – a talent to not seeing a shot over a long period of time. But was yeah. that just getting caught napping because they had just killed a penalty? So it wasn't like he didn't see he didn't see a shot, but he had to be on his P's and Q's there. So is that just a bad goal or is that a byproduct of, hey, I literally have not had to make a save in an hour and a half? Uh, I think that there's, you know, talking to Kelly Rudy after the game last night, uh, you know, and obviously Kelly was the goaltender in the league for a long time. And, uh, you know, he talked about the mental aspect of that, of sitting there. You know, there's so many things going through your head as a goaltender, and you haven't seen a shot. And you're just thinking about, like, hey, I, don't, I have to stop this one. I don't – you know, you, you just get you, – you get out of your game mentally. That was his take on it. So I think that was part of it. I think rea- the real thing for me watching it was I think that, you know, he, he guessed a little bit one way, as goalies do nowadays. I mean, it's, these guys can rip the puck. I think Pecorelli reading the play, I think guessed a little bit that the puck was going to go to his blocker side. And uh, the puck, you know, again, so made it, pulled it back in and made a great shot just over the glove under the bar. And I think Rene was leaned one way and he gave some space over the glove and it ended up in the net. All right, I know you got a lot of work to do. Just a couple of things before we let you go. Um, obviously, you have the state of the league from Commissioner Gary Bettman before of the game, still staying pat on the fact they're not going to play in the Olympics. Now, that goes against a lot of reports that, and the Players Association may be banking on, that Gary will eventually cave. 
Um, did you see any indication that that's on the horizon or that he's going to stick to his guns here and the league is not going to allow their players to go? Uh, I get every indication. He was very firm mm-hmm. in uh, his conversation yesterday that uh, you know that they aren't going, and so I think that's the plan. They announced the All-Star game for next year in Tampa. Some had been wondering, well, why didn't they announce the All-Star game? Well, the reason they hadn't is because I think there's an event in Tampa that week, and they had to wait to see if it was going to all come together for them. Um, so, yeah, he was very firm, and I assume that that's the way it's going to play. Now, I'll leave you with this. We know how things are in life, and we know uh, when uh, when money is involved that things can change. Right. He said yesterday, you know, hey, we were waiting for some help from the Olympic Committee. We were waiting for some help from the PA on certain things, and we just never heard back, and we've decided to make this decision. So I would say it's 99% that they're not going, but I always leave the door open because when money and big business are involved, things can change. And... Uh, but I think that uh, if fans are banking on that happening or media members, I would say that uh, it's a very, very long shot at this point. DJ, I'm envious of you. I miss traveling with you. I miss seeing the Stanley Cup uh, final. So I'm I know, thinking of fun. you. We saw, I, I remember we were we had Ottawa, Anaheim. We had Carolina, Edmonton. And all those beauties we got. <laughs> we, yeah, we got a few beauties. I think we had a Detroit-Pittsburgh in there a couple of times. We had a Detroit-Pittsburgh. Um, I think before you climbed the board, I got a little of Calgary-Tampa. Uh, and nice. listen, those yeah. were great series. Yeah. That seven-game series, Edmonton-Carolina yeah. was a great series. No, that was a great series. And uh, I remember being on the NHL charter back from Edmonton uh, in the middle of the night, landing in, in Raleigh uh, at 6.30 or 7 in the morning, and we had no hotels because the hotel rooms weren't ready yet. And uh, it was, uh, and then there was a flood that day in Raleigh uh, that the downtown was flooded out, and it was kind of a crazy uh, crazy series indeed for a lot of reasons. And then Carolina ended up winning Game 7. But, uh, yeah, that was a good series, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of them over, over the last bunch of years. And, you know, we'll see how this one goes. I think, uh, you know, Nashville certainly showed last night that, uh, you know, they can play – with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but uh, you know, I do wonder. You know, when you when you lose games that you could have won yeah. in these short series, as the Rangers could tell you, it doesn't always work out well for you. So we'll see. But the Predators are now on the ice. I can tell you that, and uh, I'm getting a good look at everybody firing off the glass. Well, uh, you sound you really <laughs> added to the uh, the ambiance of the podcast. We appreciate yes. it. So yes, thank you, Don. So thank so you. think of me over the next couple of weeks and mention my name whenever possible. As I always do. (laughs) Thanks a lot, buddy. All right, buddy. All right, that's EJ Raddick, NHL Now, 4 to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday on the NHL Network. He's so right. You know, you give these games away, and then there you are sitting there in a Game 7 wondering if maybe you could have wrapped up the series. And that's kind of what Pittsburgh does to you, right? Uh, They do have that ability to make you wonder what could have been. But they also leave you hanging, too. Uh, If you remember... Obviously, they took care of Columbus four games to one, but they let Washington back in. They were up three games to one. They had to wait till the game seven to finally finish them off. And obviously, you saw what happened uh, in the conference final with Ottawa. They fought back down 2-1, so Ottawa was kicking themselves. But uh, still, they had to end up going seven there. And I just wonder when that comes back to bite Pittsburgh, right? Because... 
What did uh, Nashville's played a lot less games, right? They swept the first round when Pittsburgh played uh, five. And then you had the 12 games that they played the next two rounds compared to Pittsburgh's 14. So Nashville's played three less playoff games. And you wonder, does that come to roost? And there were times during that game where it was men against boys. I mean, 37 minutes and nine seconds without a shot on goal. Well, what does it matter if you're still trailing one game to none? So Nashville, if they can play well and take game two and go back to Nashville with an even series, then it's up for grabs. But you wonder if they've now created a situation where they're chasing their own tail and can never get back into it. Uh, Let's finish it up with some of your tweets. A guy says Nashville outplayed Pittsburgh. I don't think either goalie played great. Rene had an off night, especially on the fourth goal. No question about that. The first shot on goal they had since the latter stages of the first period. And I remember game two of the Western Conference final, Rene didn't have a great game. Remember the Nashville Predators blew a 2-0 lead in Anaheim, eventually lost the game. He bounced back then. I fully expect Rene to bounce back again. Victor says, what's the worst object animal fans throw on the ice? Squid? Rats? Catfish? Uh, rat traps? Well, the rats that were thrown on the ice in Florida in 96 were plastic, so that wasn't a big deal. Uh, the catfish, at least... It, it's not as big and awkward as the octopus. I mean, the octopus in Detroit, some of those things, sometimes those throwing, they're like throwing 12-pounders out there, and oh, they're disgusting with all the tentacles. So I would have to say an octopus certainly is the worst. Brett says, if Nashville can play the way that they did after being down 3 nothing, and if Rene bounces back, they will win this series. And that's kind of what I'm counting on as well. I, do, I did pick Nashville in seven. Um, you do see the stats with 70, just a little over 77% of the time, the team that loses game one of the final loses the series. But I think if Nashville can play well, take game two, and then it becomes a best of five with three games in Nashville, I still believe they've got a shot. And Hockey 4-1-1, what does Pittsburgh have to do to get more at the net in game two? Also, can the fans expect to see Colin Wilson in game two? Well, I know he skated in the pregame for game one. Uh, didn't get a chance to ask EJ about his availability for game two, but I do think we will see him in the series. And you heard EJ also say they passed up shots in the third period. Um, I just think just keep doing what you're doing and get more shots on net. Certainly they're going to want to get more shots on net considering they scored four goals on 11 shots. But as EJ said, they did pass on some shots. So it wasn't all the defense of Nashville. And it wasn't also, uh, it was also the major reason is that Nashville was pushing. The best defense sometimes is a good offense. And Nashville spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh zone. So I think that kind of led to the long stretches of no offense. But I've been watching hockey for as long as I can remember. And I do remember the the six shots on goal that Toronto had in the 2000 playoff series. And we have seen a a period where there were no shots on goal, but nearly two. And as EJ said, the last shot on goal before the Gensel goal was the Benino goal. And that wasn't even a shot. That was deflected off a predator and in. So we're talking two periods of no shots on goal. I'd never seen that before. I'm sure it's happened a lot in expansion eras when you have bad teams, but two of the best teams in the league playing each other. That was crazy. So I'd be a little worried about Pittsburgh, to be honest with you, because this is a team, again, they almost blew a 3-1 lead. Uh, they played a lot of hockey, and they seem when they, they can dance with the devil because they know how to win. Uh, but this Predators team is going to keep coming. Let's not forget, Peter Laviolette's won a Stanley Cup. P.K. Subban played in a conference final a couple of years ago with the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, they have some guys there that uh, that know how to win and know how to do it, but... Pittsburgh, obviously, when you win a Stanley Cup just last year, they've got way more guys that know how to do it and do it well. 
but you let Nashville hang around and they can beat you. So we'll see how Nashville handles not only losing a game one for the first time in these playoffs, but actually trailing in a series for the first time in these playoffs. So should be fun. It's been a game one was tremendous. So many different directions to go. You heard EJ's opinion on the review on the offside. You've got mine. We'll be back again tomorrow to preview more of game two. We'll get hopefully an update on some of the banged up players. Will Wilson get a chance to play any lineup changes if we can find out. Uh, before uh, the start of the game when we record the podcast. Again, we usually do that sometime at one thirty or 2 o'clock, so I'm not sure we're going to get any information, but your chance to chime in at um, at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. Your thoughts on the All-Star game going back to Tampa, which I've got some thoughts about I'll save until tomorrow. Um, so get in touch with me. Apple Podcasts, ESPN app, of course, on my timeline, at Don LaGreca. Make sure you always put hashtag game misconduct. Any questions, comments, just about hockey in general. doesn't even have to be about the final. Just kind of contribute. I'd love to be able to talk to you. It's an interactive show. Back with you again tomorrow. Thanks to EJ Raddick. Don't forget to check him out on the NHL Network between the hours of 4 and 6 from NHL Now. And, of course, that will be live from Pittsburgh and then eventually Nashville later in the week. This has been the Tuesday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.